We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Matthew chapter 17, I know you're looking there. Uh, There's a book uh, that, and most of you may not have read the book, probably watched the movies, but uh, in the book Prince Caspian, there's a great illustration uh, in that book. At one point, Lucy, I hope I say his name right, it, it uh, you can pronounce it a couple of different ways, but I am not British, so I'll probably pronounce it wrong because we Americans always use, where we t- say S, we use Z. So Aslan. Uh, but uh, if I were to say it the way you're supposed to, I, Deb told me I shouldn't because when I said it that way, it sounded like a bad word before I got the land out. So um, we'll stick with a Z. But Lucy sees the lion for the first time in many years. And he's changed since their last encounter. And his size surprises her. And so she tells him, she say, Aslan, you're bigger. And he replies, this is because you're older, little one. And Lucy asks, not because you are? He replies, I am not. Listen to this. But every year you grow, you find me bigger. That's the way it is with us In our walk with Christ. Every year that we serve him. Walk with him. Grow with him. We will find that he isn't getting smaller. And he's not getting more normal. He is getting bigger. It's not that he changes. But what's happening? We do. He doesn't change. His word says he doesn't. But we begin to see dimensions and aspects and characteristics that we never saw before. There there are increasing and and astonishing increments of of his purity and and his power and his uniqueness that we begin to see when we learn how to see him the way the disciples did. I'm praying for all of us, including myself, I I hope I hope this is happening, but I'm praying for all of us that this will happen, that all of us will grow to the point that we will see Jesus the way three of the disciples did one day on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because when you see him the way they did, you'll never be able to see anyone else the same way. Today, I'm going to talk for a few minutes on the topic that there's nobody like Jesus. There's just nobody like Jesus. And it's only when we're able to fall on our face in complete reverence that we're able to view him from the correct perspective. You can't view him from the correct perspective until you view him from your knees on your face. Let that sink in for a minute. And every one of us need that encounter with a risen, transfigured Christ. Because he's the only way. He's the first and last. He's the the beginning and the end. He's everything that's in between. There's not anyone else that stands around him in front or behind. He is who he is. And there's nobody that can compete and nobody that can compare. 
When we see him as he is, we know without a doubt that there's nobody like him. Never was, never will be. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not even an angel, but he's God and there's nobody like him. Matthew chapter 17 verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain where they could be alone. And Jesus' appearance changed in front of them. His face became as bright as the sun and his clothes as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to to them and and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll put up three tents. Some of your passages say tabernacles. Here for you, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them and the voice came out of the cloud that said this is my son who i love and with whom i'm pleased listen to him and the disciples were terrified when they heard this and they fell face down on the ground but jesus touched them and he said get up and don't be afraid and they raised their heads and they saw no one but jesus this was the mount of transfiguration as i studied this i wondered to myself How dumbfounded would we have been had we been there that day? There were only three that went. Peter, James, and John. Three disciples that got to be there that day and be a part of this experience. We're viewing this now 2,000 years later. And after we are are serving and knowing a Jesus who, who died on a cross, rose from the grave, was seen by more than 500 and ascended the Father... We're, we're, looking, we're looking back 2,000 years to that. And so we're able to see Jesus, if, if not even from our heart, just from our head in a way that perhaps the disciples weren't yet able to see him. They knew Jesus as a great man. They were following him. They believed in him. They believed that, he was a, that maybe he was a Messiah, but they certainly believed that he was going to be a leader that, was gonna, that somehow was going to uh, lead a revolt against Roman rulers. They, did, they weren't exactly, they knew there was something special about him. But they weren't exactly sure to what extent that meant. So I want you to understand now, if you're standing on that mount that day, and all of a sudden you, as one of the three disciples in the background, see Jesus hanging around with Moses and Elijah. For lack of a better term, you'd be freaking out. Because even though the disciples don't at this point clearly know exactly who all Jesus is, they, don't, they do know who Moses and Elijah are. They, they're, they are mesmerized by the fact that they are standing in the presence of two of the greatest men that, that ever were a part of their race, of their, of their kindred. This is Moses who they respect as the greatest leader of their people. They've heard about him for hundreds of years. That's Moses. He he led our people out of Egypt's bondage. And that's Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that mankind has ever known. Guys, we've been talking about his miracles for years This guy did some amazing things. Look, the three of us, we're standing up here with our buddy Jesus, and he's hanging around. Listen to this. Jesus is hanging around with Moses and Elijah. Wow. Jesus must be pretty cool that he gets to hang around with those two because there's something special. See it from a different angle than you've ever seen it before? Peter says... We got to do something because this is Peter. 
He's always got to do something. We got to do something. Pete's not always sure how to respond in given situations. He doesn't always say the right thing. He certainly doesn't always do the right thing. Pete says, I got to give him credit because I wouldn't say anything. I would have been standing there like, Pete's like, hey, Jesus, you want us to do something? How about if we build each one of you guys a tabernacle? Because this is pretty amazing. We want to build these two guys a tabernacle. We'll build you one too because you're hanging around with them and all. Huh? What do you think, Jesus? They knew that he was special, but they didn't know that he was on a level with these kind of guys. What a day. Before Jesus could answer, God the Father speaks out of a bright cloud. Listen to what he says. This is my own son, first off. Who's he talking about? The voice of God rumbles from a cloud to create separation between these three. And he says about the one, this is my own son. I am pleased with him. Do you know what it means there? Pleased means he's beloved. He is approved. He is unique. This is my own son, and he's different. And I love him. What else does he say? Listen to him over everybody else. That's what he's saying. Notice what our father did not say. The scriptures didn't record it this way because it didn't happen. He didn't say, these three fellas are special to me. Listen to them. He never said that. All three of these are amazing individuals. Every one of them are worthy of honor and respect. But only one of them was claimed by God as his own son. There's nobody like Jesus. The disciples are terrified. They fall face down to the ground. Jesus says, get up, don't be afraid. And I want you to notice something. They, rose, they raise up their heads to look from this position. Huh? Are you still with me? From a position of being on their face, on their knees, on the ground, Jesus lifts them up. And as they look up to Jesus, all they see is Jesus. Everybody else has disappeared. Because there's nobody like Jesus. When you really know him, you're going to see him for who he is. And when you see him for who he is, then you can't see anybody else. There may be honorable people that have lived before us that that have been around, but they're not on his level. I'm about to make some folks upset today, but I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Buddha, Confucius, Zoroaster. Muhammad, I can go on and on. I can name people. 
that they were good people perhaps. They were great leaders. They were great teachers. They were leaders of great movements and religions of people. But I've got to tell you something about all of them. And add everybody else to that name of list or list of names that you want. And I still would be able to tell you the same thing about all of them gathered together. And it would be this. None of them created the world. None of them died on the cross for my sins. None of them rose from the dead. None of them are alive today and making intercession for us. None of them are preparing a place for us in heaven. None of of them are getting ready to return for the church to take us home. None of them are doing that because there's nobody like Jesus. God wouldn't allow Pete to build those tabernacles. You know why? Because if God would have allowed Peter to build those tabernacles, it would have stated to everybody there and anybody later that would have come along that the three were equals. God says they're not equals. You'll not construct a tabernacle to any of them but one. You'll not, you'll not create a God of any of them but one. Because he's special. The Israelites were never allowed to make themselves other graven images. Do you remember that from the Old Testament? It's for this reason. I want you to hear this statement. Listen to this statement. A God that you can make for yourself is a God that you can control and force on your behalf. That's no God. Man has tried for years create his own God. Satan jumped in the midst of it, knowing the superstitions of man. Satan jumped in and said, okay, let's take your fears, let's take your doubt, let's take your confusion, and let's let you create other religions. And those other religions have looked pretty jacked up when you start looking at them from the perspective of the scripture. Some of those religions required people to worship Satan instead of God. Some of those religions require human sacrifice and prostitution at the temples of the religion. How ridiculous is that? Look at the chaos that man creates when he tries to create his own God in his own image. Any God that you try to create in your own image will be a God who does one of these six things. I want you to write them down. They're longer than normal, so I'll take my time. This is why it's dangerous for us to try to create our own gods. The first reason is this. Any God you try to create in your own image will be a God who is either liberal or conservative. Depending on which box you want to use to push your own political views on other people. Pastor, you're political. I'm scriptural. You know why I'm right? It's not because I'm smart. I'm right because everything I do, say, preach, and vote comes straight out of the word of God. Nowhere else. I'm not trying to push my political views on you. You're going to have your own. I'm going to have my own. But the bottom line is when you boil them on down, neither one of ours matter. They don't count. It doesn't make a difference politically what you believe. And if you've created a God to try to twist people to believe what you believe, then you've created a God that doesn't exist. God says, I'm not playing that game. 
You're not going to use me to manipulate people. Whether you say amen or not, I'll keep going. Once I get started, I don't stop. Number two, any God that you try to create in your own image will be a God who is flexible and permits you to do whatever you want so that you can always just say, I was led to do it. Have you ever known those people? They're always led. Always blaming God for the things that they do. Well, I'm not going to take the blame for that. I was just led of the Spirit. Well, they didn't say which Spirit. We're to try those spirits. We're to discern those spirits, aren't we? According to the will, the way, and the Word of God, we're to try and discern those spirits. I get tired of people trying to manipulate the church to doing whatever they want the church to do by always trying to play the God card of, well, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost told me, and I was just led. I can't help it if, if I did this, felt this, thought this, believed this. I was just led of the Spirit. Well, I'm being led of the Spirit too, but I'm trying to be real careful in that leading by the way the Scripture says, work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. So before I get up here and tell you this is what God says, I'm back here shaking. Every week before I get in this pulpit, I'm somewhere in prayer begging God to take control of my faculties so that I don't talk and so that it's him instead of me because I don't want to give an account someday. Stand before him and say, why did you use my pulpit to push your own agendas? I don't want to be that guy. This pulpit is not my place of opinion nor any other pastor's. I can't stand political activists who put reverend on the front of their name because they think somehow it gives them more authority to be able to stand up and then push agendas on people. The pulpit is the pulpit for a reason. It's sacred, it's holy, and what's demanded and commanded and preached from behind it has to be just the word of God. It can't be what I think, feel, and like and believe. Number three, any God you try to create in your own image will be a God who promises to bless his children but never discipline them. That God doesn't exist. That's the God we want to serve. And a lot of churches are full because they preach about a God that they say exists and is their God. But I'm going to tell you right now, the only God that I can study from Scripture is a God who loves us dearly, gave his son's life for us, blesses us, takes care of us. But I'm going to tell you something. He will get you in check if you don't do right. And the church that tells you otherwise is telling you a lie. We don't get to tell God what he's going to do. Years ago, there was a generation. All you heard them talking about was Abba. Abba this, Abba Father, Abba God, Daddy God. You'd hear them giving testimonies. Daddy God, Daddy my Daddy, my Daddy. Your Daddy, your Daddy that you're so flippantly referring to is the is the most respected being of all creation, the creator of all things, and deserves more reverence than your flippant designation of my daddy said. Your father in heaven, your God in heaven, 
demands certain things of not just his people, but of all creation. There is no real God who promises to bless his children, but never discipline that. God does not exist because there's only one God, and he's not like that. Number four, it's a God. You ready for this one? Any God we try to create in our own image is a God who we can keep in his place until we need him. Don't you know a lot of Christians who live that way? We never see him in his house. Maybe a couple times a year. They don't live according to the word. They're not carrying out the great commission. They're not in fellowship with the father. The only time you hear them talking about him is when they're saying to one of their buddies, oh my God. That's when they talk about him the most is just whenever they're trying to exclaim how disgruntled they are about something stupid. The real God can't be kept in any place. There is no place wide enough, deep enough, big enough, strong enough to hold him in. He can't be forced into any kind of a box or circle or triangle or octagon or anything else you want to come up with. He's the creator of all those things. He can't be forced anywhere. And you can't conveniently keep God in his place because his place is everywhere. It's not yours for the keeping. It's not your decision to make. And any God that we try to create in our own image, number five, will be a God who is not supreme, but just happy to be one of many deities offering ways to heaven. Right there is where I just got in trouble. For all of the people who said... That the way to God is like this. It's just a big wheel. And God is the hub. And there are many spokes to God. There are many ways to God. Come to God however you choose. And I would say to you, if you try to come to God any other way than the way that this word says, then you are on a bad path. Come around the mountain however you want. Come up the mountain from whatever side you decide. But if you don't come up the way of Jesus, then you're not getting to the same God. There is no way to the Father but through Christ. And every other person who's trying to get somewhere is getting nowhere because they are headed toward a God that does not exist. Quiet, but it's true. Any God you try to create in your own image, number six, will be a God who constantly needs a makeover to bring him into alignment with the current culture, the internet, and space age. You, those, there's some people that are constantly trying to twist God and change him around because he doesn't fit that generation anymore. Well, the God we served in the 70s has changed. Show me that. I can only find a place that said he did not. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I can't find the God you're talking about in the Bible. He does not change per your culture, per your belief, per your opinion. He does not change. Isaiah 43.10, Old Testament, says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I have chosen you as my servant so that you can know and believe in me and understand that I am the one who did this. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I alone am the Lord, and there is no Savior except me, period. That's Old Testament, New Testament. John 14, 6, Jesus answered him, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me, period. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time. I'm not trying to exclude anybody. You say, okay, pastor, then why doesn't everyone agree and make this profession? I'm going to tell you why. It's because of where they're viewing him from. Think about that for a minute. If, if, you, if you attempt to view Jesus from your own chosen vantage point, you're going to be looking at him from the wrong angle and perspective and thereby not able to clearly see him for who he is. Because far too many people are looking at Jesus from here down. I'm smarter than God. I'm fairer than God. I'm nicer than God. Therefore, Jesus cannot be the only way because that's not nice and that's not fair. And since I am so much more intelligent than the Almighty, I have deduced that there must be other ways to get to God other than Jesus. If you're looking at him from any other angle, you can't look at him from any chosen angle. Any angle that you would choose would be incorrect because there's only one way to look at him. The way the disciples did that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. On your knees, from your face up. Because it's only people who have looked at him that way who are able to see him in the correct light. It's only when you fall on your face and your knees and begin to look up that you see him in his glory and his majesty and his true image. And the only way that you can really appreciate Jesus and come to know him for who he is, are you ready for this? Is when you come to him submitted and broken and humble and truly searching, that's why so many don't see him as he is. That's why so many who are looking at him can't recognize him for who he truly is. That's why so many are trying to build tabernacles to other people and gods and religions and uh, because they can't see him from a humble, broken, repentant perspective. You will never see Jesus right until you die to yourself. Submit. Repent. And fall broken on the floor in front of him. And as soon as you fall on your face 
and you get to know, some of you are like, well, I think I've been saved a long time, and I still think there's other, I'm telling you right now, you saying I'm not saved, Pastor, I'm telling you, if you think there's some other way, mm, there's no other way, you're wrong, and if you truly believe there's another way, then you truly haven't seen the way yourself yet. I don't care how many weeks in a row you've been at church. How much money you gave this morning in the offering. It's not going to save you. Being in that seat is not going to save you. Working in a ministry is not going to save you. Volunteering sometime at the Reach Center is not going to save you. Reading every religious book. Being nice to every group of religious people all over. That is not going to save you. It's the right thing to do, but it's not going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is when you fall on your knees and your face in submission and repentance and cry out to God, save me. And when you look up from that position, you will finally see Jesus as they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's nobody like him. There's nobody beside him. We can't even see Moses and Elijah anymore. Where'd they go? All we can see is Jesus. Lots of good people out there. Lots of folks worthy of respect and honor. But nobody deserves worship and honor and glory. But Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. He calls everybody to come to himself. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's loved, but not everybody will bow. And so not everybody sees him as he is. But I'm going to say this to you. I'm concluding right now. Whether you accept him or you don't, whether you believe him or you don't, whether you acknowledge him or you don't, it still doesn't change who he is. And God knew that the world didn't just need another good man or a teacher or an example or a prophet. God looked at us and said, they need a savior. None of those other guys could be because they weren't sinless sacrifices. That's why God sent Jesus, nobody else, into the world. Other people may teach you and lead you and help you, but none of them can save you. Somebody say amen. There's nobody like Jesus. And it's not about how you feel, and it's not about what you think, and it's not about what you believe or what you believe is fair. It's only about what is true. When it's all boiled down, your feelings, your thinkings, your hopes, and all that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the truth. None of the rest of that's going to buy you anything when you stand before the one and only. And he's looking through the book for your name. You're not going to stand before Confucius. You're going to stand before God Almighty one day. And he's going to look in the Lamb's book of life. And your name is either there or it's not. You can stand there all day and argue and cry about how this isn't fair, this isn't right, this isn't nice. I didn't believe this. I don't think it's right. And the Father's going to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then some angel is going to come along and grab you by your shuddering shoulders with tears running down your face and shrieks 
coming from the depths and the pits of your innermost soul, they will drag you to the edge of eternity and throw you into a place that we don't even want to talk about. And you could spend eternity there saying, this ain't right, this ain't fair, I didn't believe this. It's not about that. It's about the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Will this make me popular today? No. Do I care? No. What do I want today? I don't care if you even remember I'm the one that preached it. I don't care. All I care is that when I look around in the line up there one of these days that I see you there with me. Be mad at me today. Talk trash about me today. Put it on Facebook today about how politically incorrect Pastor D is. Do all that. But if you will someday get on your knees and face and find Jesus for who he is, I'll be satisfied to spend eternity with you and I bet you won't be mad at me no more. There's nobody like Jesus. And it's not just about salvation. But when was the last time you prayed to one of those other boys to set you free from addiction? When was the last time you prayed to one of those other fellas to heal your body? To fill you with the Holy Ghost? They would say, what? What Holy Ghost? When was the last time you called on one of those other guys when you were in desperate need financially or in a relationship situation? When was the last time you called on one of them and they showed up? All they do is ask you to give, to do, to be. Jesus just says, come. Nobody can satisfy your soul. Nobody can answer your prayers. Nobody can meet your needs. Except Jesus. And the scripture says that right now. He's sitting at the right hand. The hand of power. Of God the Father. You know what he's doing? Praying for you for what pastor whatever it is you have need of you need healing that's what he's praying for you need finances a financial miracle that's what he's praying for he's making intercession for you and for some of you right now it's for something much more important than health or finances or relationship right now he's praying for your soul he already bought it He already paid for it. He's just praying that you will submit and relinquish it to him. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. You know, my heart in all of this, God, is never to be judgmental, never to be unkind. It's not my wish that I would offend. But Lord, simply that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would pour through me just a broken vessel. To shed light on truth. To show truth. To speak truth in its purest form. So that conviction can begin to rain down in this place. 
a lot of good people who have accepted Jesus because of a fairness issue struggle with him being the only way. Even after they've accepted him, they still struggle with him being the only way. It seems so narrow-minded. It seems so unkind. God, give us a correct perspective of you. If we are seeing anyone but you, it means that we are not in the correct position. Get us back on our knees and on our faith so that we can know the truth and be set free. I pray in Jesus' name as they lead us in this song. Whether you need to accept him for the first time or you need to rededicate your life or maybe you've just been seeing him in an incorrect perspective or position, whatever the case might be, or even if you're that one that says, I've been doing all this, this is just a, this is just a good reminder to me. I'm just thankful to hear the word today. Whatever the case might be, if you are ready to pray, I want you to come down here during this song. I want you to come down here and I want you to kneel down before the Lord. And pour out your heart before him. If you're here wanting to repent of your sin. Wanting to give your heart to Christ. You don't need anybody with you to do that. You can do that all by yourself. It's very simple. It's just a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I want to serve you. Change my life. That heartfelt, sincere prayer will change your life. But if you want someone to pray that with you, we're glad to do it. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll do it. Just somehow just just bring somebody with us or or give me a signal of some kind when you get here that i need somebody to pray with me we want to do that we'll be glad to do that but don't just sit there don't just sit there god is trying to shake us loose i don't want to go to church with religious folks I want to go to church with folks that love Jesus. They're convinced he is the way. They're convinced he is the savior of mankind. They're passionately living out their lives so that they could be a witness to others. That's who I want to go to church with. Don't just sit there, but let the Holy Spirit shake you up with this word today and let it change your perspective let it change your heart and mind in jesus name i pray sing ladies y'all come and let's pray god bless you